Man, it's so exciting to be a part of this church. Uh, I tell people all the time, man, that the ministry of Aspen Grove extends far beyond what you see on a Sunday morning. Man, the ways that, that this church is touching others' lives and serving is, uh, is really fun and awesome and impressive. Uh, I, w- I want to celebrate uh, VBS just one more time this past week. Uh, I mean, we had more than 30 kids on our campus. We had more than 20 volunteers. It was really an awesome, awesome week. And uh, um, please take a moment, make sure and thank uh, Lauren and all our volunteers. Uh, Kim worked, AC worked, you know, all of our staff, everybody poured a bunch into this. Uh, some of my favorite moments were just uh, worshiping with the kids, letting their, uh, uh, just hearing them sing the songs and and hearing their their hearts come alive for Jesus, man, like nothing was better than that for me. Uh, and so that was definitely a highlight. And I want to share another memory from VBS this week. Uh, I got to work there, so I feel a little tired this morning. At one point, uh, I, I was sitting next to one of the kids, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention who it was. I, I don't want to, I don't want to point them out. But, but the kid was like all up in their armpit, like this, <laughs> like doing this. And so this caught my attention. Like, all right, this is this is really interesting. And like, this is going. I mean, like, this is like, it's like this. And I'm just watching. Like, all right, this is really interesting. Then that same kid took the hands and laid them right on my head. <laughs> Wasn't fast enough. And right there, I quit the ministry. I just retired. Like, that was the moment. <laughs> that was the moment it all ended for me. If you brought your Bibles, uh, I invite you to open them to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to continue in our, in our Daniel teaching series. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, uh, Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And uh, you can also follow along on the screen. In verse 1 of chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar makes a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Let's keep going. In verses 4 and 5, here's what he says about it. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zithers, I don't know, whatever it is. Electric guitar, lyre, harp, pipe, you don't know the difference. Uh, and, and other musical instruments, I want you to bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. Pretty impressive, right? Like, in, it, it's hard for us to imagine, but you need to, like, go way back but in this world, like, like the idea that there, were, that there were powers and authorities, the idea that there were other gods at work in the world was, was completely accepted. We've kind of reasoned ourselves out of that some now today. But the, but the idea of worship of gold, well, let's be honest, that part hasn't really changed that much. But this was a polytheistic culture. They believed in the gods. They believed in the powers. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar set this up, my, my computer always like spell checks Nebuchadnezzar. When I, it always writes Nebraska. So when King Nebraska, I don't know why. When King Nebraska set up this gold idol and said everybody must worship, the, the people of that day were like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Like, it wasn't a big deal, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were used to it. They were used to seeing the idols. They were used to seeing the statues. They were used to seeing a multitude of, of temples, and it's just one more king saying, okay, when you hear all the musical instruments, when you hear pomp and circumstance, everybody, you know what to do. And they did. And they did. Everybody did it. 
It was nothing. Like, okay, fine, bow down, take a break, you know. Except this time, Nebuchadnezzar put a really strict condition on it. Look what it says in verse 6. He says, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. You guys familiar with the story? How many of you know this? All right, don't reveal the ending. And so the show starts. All of these instruments, which I challenge Kim to bring every one of those instruments on stage and do something with one day. I don't even know whether zither is or looks like. Um, Brian probably has one, though. Like, I mean, <laughs> drummers, they have everything. The show starts. All these instruments play, and every tongue and tribe and people come together, except somebody's missing. Look what it says in verse 8. Some astrologers went to the king. There's, you know, there's always somebody to report on you. Some astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Look what it says in verse 12. I know we're, we're kind of moving quick through this. They said, but there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. Let's look what he says. They pay no attention. They pay no attention to your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Like, like I just feel like, all right, there's a couple of things. Like, okay, first off, where's Daniel? This is his book. How come he's not here? Well, he's not going to face furnaces. He's going to face felines later. Just hold on. His moment is coming. But there's always these tattletales, Right? Like anytime you stand up for something, there's always somebody watching, right? Like anytime you, you leave the herd, there's always going to be somebody that says, look at them. And, and, you know, they always, you know, what do these astrologers have to gain from it, right? Well, they see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in positions of power and authority, and they want those positions. So if I can cut them down, cut them out, then maybe that'll help lift us up. And that's really when things king, uh, that's when things heat up. King Nebraska, always very thoughtful, always very mild-mannered and calm, immediately flies into a storming rage. He goes off the handle and he calls the three Jews before him. Look what he says in verse 14. Is it true? Is it true that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. Give one more chance. It's like a parent to their kids in the back seat. One more time. I'll give you one more chance to worship the statue I've made. And when you hear the sound of musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will th be thrown immediately into... The furnace. Let's keep going. What's it say? When you're thrown in that furnace, he says, what God will be able to rescue you from whose power? From my power, right? If you've, uh, if you've been following along with this, you know that Daniel's all about this power struggle. Who has the power? King Nebuchadnezzar says, if I do this, what power is there in heaven or on earth that can stop it? The question is, what God? This is the right question, right? What God will be able to rescue you from my power? 
And that's when it happens. Uh, let's just read these next three verses, verse 16, 17, and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebraska. <laughs> like it, it, I think actually you're supposed to read that this is a little bit condescending. Do you see that? Oh, not Nebuchadnezzar the Great and Almighty, not Nebuchadnezzar the Magnificent. Oh, Nebi. Right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is pretty, I think this is pretty awesome. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God, Big G, whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Keep going. But, this is important, but circle it, highlight it. You need to know this, but. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I love this moment. It's like incredibly bold thing. Here they are patronizing. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of kings, right? Oh, Nebi. Uh, I, I wrote in this, like, in, even in my Bible in the margin, I wrote, I wrote Braveheart speech because what they say is, like, your power is nothing. You have no power of, uh, over us. Uh, maybe you remember this line from Braveheart. You may take our lives, but you will never take our freedom. Right, right. They dropped the mic. Any of you remember uh, back in the time of Moses, God came and he delivers these, these rules, these commandments of how to live in a right relationship with him. You guys remember these things? We call them the 10 commandments. What's the first one? No other gods. And what's the second one? No idols. You don't get to worship. You don't get to bow down before anything else but me. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, faithful Jews that they are, they, draw, they just draw a line in the sand, right? Everybody else, it's no big deal. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they remember. They remember the law of God and refuse to bow down. This happens all through Scripture. Like, like this is such an important moment. Even, even Peter in Acts chapter 5, he says, we must obey God rather than men. And this moment of, of drawing a line in the sand is this moment of, of identity. Like when you really step out of that, like, like there is strength there and there is courage there, but there's also incredible risk, right? When you step away from the crowd, it is risky. When you resolve to obey God, like, like that resolve and that obedience comes at great personal risk, and I know you're going to be surprised to hear this, but King Nebi ain't having it. It says that his face distorts. Literally, like, his face becomes a fiery furnace. You know what I mean? And he's going to make an example of these three. And to demonstrate his power, he says, heat that furnace up. Right? Seven times hotter than, than what it should be. 
Uh, and, and he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he has them bound up, right? And this is the point that I pause and think, why is this a kid's story? How many of you were taught this in, in like children's ministry? Like I'm saying this is one of the top 10 children's ministry stories that we teach out there. I want to go so far as to say when I was in children's ministry, we actually acted this out. Who wants to get thrown in the fiery furnace? Me. You know, like it makes no sense. Like, why do we think this is a kid's story? Because this is horrible, right? This is, this is a horrid idea. Where did this even come from? Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, I know what to do. Let's cook them in a furnace. Let's burn them up. And in his anger, he, you know, he, he, turns, the, he turns the heat all the way up. And, and even those, the strongest men in his army that are throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, they die just from getting close. Like, where did they even get this idea? And that's it. That's the end of chapter three. Right? Story's over. Another story about great martyrs who died for their faith, right? Like, that's the ending. Or at least it would be. Suddenly, look what it says in the next few verses. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, wait, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Well, look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like uh, what? God. Let's keep reading. Then Nebuchadnezzar comes as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Remember his question was, what God could do this? What God could rescue you? Servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Pause. Let that sink in. Right? What was the first thing they said when they stepped out? Whoo, it's hot in here. You know, like, I don't know. Like, Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, and the advisors of the crowd around them, they saw that the fire had not touched them. But it goes even further. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing wasn't scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As he sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, King, king Nebraska is always making new, new laws, new decrees. I decree this. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They'll be torn limb from limb. Always very thoughtful, right? <laughs> Their houses will be turned to rubble. And finally, this is the last thing he says before he promotes Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the next verses. The last thing he says is, there is no other God who can rescue 
like this. So what do we do with the story? How do we interpret it? Just want to point out a couple of important conclusions, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll have a time of communion to, uh, together. One thing that I want you to see is that God has, in fact, that thing which King Nebuchadnezzar doubts. Do you see that? In this power struggle, the power uh, and ability to deliver, the power and ability to save, God actually has. Nebuchadnezzar says, there is no other God who can rescue like this. Nebuchadnezzar makes this incredible statement of faith, right? A statement of faith that everyone who lives under the name of Christ, everyone who lives under the name of Christian should be able to make. There is no God who can rescue like this. And the question for us is, do we really believe that? Do we believe it? Like right now, today, in this space, do you, or maybe I'll put it this way, how many of you believe that God has the power to save? How many of you have personally experienced God's deliverance from fiery trials? So it's an incredible acknowledgement of God's power, but, but there's also something different about this. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do is dramatically different. So maybe if I asked you, like, do you believe that God has power to save from fiery trials? Maybe you faithfully said, yes. Then the next question was, is, is for us, will you continue to believe so even if he chooses not to save you from the immediate trials? I mean, I say that again. Will you continue to believe that God has this power even if he chooses not to save you from your immediate trials and your burn up in the furnace? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say what? They say yes. You see, like sometimes we get into this like negotiation with God. Have you ever negotiated with God? Like I do whenever I see whatever the lottery is. Like on the billboard, man, I start negotiating. Like God, I'm a pastor and you know how much I love you. And if you would permit me to win the lottery, I will give you half. Right, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever done this? Like, have you ever tried to make your faith a, a, a kind of transaction? What's, what's really amazing is that, like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, man, even if you don't, even if you don't. And that faithfulness, like, that faithfulness catches Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And, it, and I think it should catch ours, too. Like, like I, they hoped that God would deliver them. I, I think that's 100% fair to say. But it wasn't essential for their faith. They hoped that God would deliver them, but it didn't really affect their decision to not worship the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. Do you see that? They didn't somehow try to use their faith to manipulate God to rescue them. 
their decision was to glorify God because he is God. And that was enough. Their decision was to glorify God and God alone. Come what may. And that's what we should admire about them. Because death for them was was preferable to apostasy. They believe in God's ability to deliver without expectation or requirement that he would, at least in this moment, that he would do so. And it draws like, all right, so it turns the light on us. Draws this question from from us is, is your loyalty to God implicit on um, on the blessings God gives? Are you only in this thing for the stuff you get? Don't you see, for those who truly believe in the power and the righteousness of God, the chance to glorify God is greater even than our own lives. You see that? In fact, like, like the chance to glorify God, like there's no greater purpose than your life. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the, just the sheer moment that they had to say no to the gods of this world and yes to the God of heaven, even if it cost them their life, it was worth it. It was worth it. And, and they're martyrs, like uh, Augustine even said this. It's, it's a great quote. Martyrdom is about the cause, not about the punishment. They're martyrs because they chose God first. They chose to honor the Ten Commandments above anything else. And what I hope you would see and what I would hope you would know is that the cause of Christ is worth the price, even if it means a personal holocaust. So I think that's one thing that you should take away. But there's a whole other side of this, like, okay, well, that's easy to say because God actually, like, they actually didn't die. So maybe when I ask, okay, how many of you have experienced rescue from fiery trials and you thought, yes, God has rescued me. But maybe there are some others of you who have said, no, I've been facing these things. Maybe even some of you have said, I've been praying this prayer and I feel like it's not getting answered What do we do then? And I think there's something for this too. What I want you to see, what I want you to remember is that even theologians forever have pointed this out, have been able to see this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't rescued from the flames. They were rescued in them. And it's an important difference. So many times, man, maybe we've, we've, we've asked God, I see this storm coming. Is there just a way that you could just make that storm not happen? God, I see this trial. I see this difficulty coming. God, is there a way that I could just be exempt from this one? And like, is there a way that I could just go around? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just going to go around this one. And suddenly you find yourself in the midst. 
But I think what, what's important for you to see in this story was that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, what were they thinking, right, where they were thrown in? You know what I'm saying? Like, what I want you to see is that they weren't alone. Man, and that's such an important thing for us to hold on to. Maybe you've experienced that in your storm or in your struggle. In your storm and struggle in your fiery furnace says, has anyone come up beside you and encouraged you? Has anyone come up beside you and, and held on to you? I mean, we, we, we sing songs about angels among us, right? I love the story Max Lucado tells of uh, this pair of guys that were sneaking into Vietnam to, to deliver Bibles. They had, they had Bibles and they had cash to help the underground church there. And the two guys at the airport get separated. And this one guy, he's got a bag full of Bibles and a bag full of cash to help, help the underground church in Vietnam. He's separated from his friend and he speaks no Vietnamese at all. And he doesn't even know how to get to his hotel. He doesn't know anything. And he steps to the curb outside the airport. And he's, all these taxis start coming up. And he doesn't know what to do. So he just starts praying. And for each taxi that comes up, he prays with this taxi. Nope, nope, not getting in this one. I, I need a taxi, God. I need, I need some rescue. I need somebody to help me. And the next taxi comes. And nope, nope, it's not that taxi. And finally, like it seems like this is the one. And he climbs in this taxi. And there are two people in the front seat of the taxi, not just one. And the second person is somehow able to like communicate and the taxi actually delivers him to the hotel. And when they get there and are, are able to drop off the Bibles, they say, man, how did you do that? What happened? And he said, well, I found this taxi with two drivers. And they say, that never happens. We've never seen two drivers in a taxi, right? Maybe some of you have experienced that moment where, where there is this presence there that, 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 that helps and I hope that, that you would know that God is with you. Right? I know it's not Christmas, but we, we love the song Emmanuel, right? God with us. Sometimes your faith won't remove you from the storm, but God always promises to be with us in it. Some of you maybe this morning or feel like you're in the fiery furnace. Some of you maybe are facing really tough stuff and um, maybe you feel like you've been in the furnace a long time. And, and, I, and I just want to offer this to you, man. If that's, the, if that's you this morning, if you're struggling this morning, then, then we want to be Emmanuel to you. If we can as a church, we, I, I, I can't, man, half the people that come to my office, more than half, or all the people that come to my office, I'm, I'm not very seldom am I able to extinguish the flames and solve the problem and take them out of the storm, but overwhelmingly, I'm able to just walk beside them. Overwhelmingly, I, I, I'm willing to be there with them, and as a church, that is our commission, I think. For people who are struggling, for people who are hurting, we are to be Emmanuel to them, right? To step in with God's love and encouragement and mercy and sometimes just steadfastness. So as the church, the body of Christ, maybe we can't rescue you from the flames, but... I'll, I'll tell you as a church, man, that we will resolve to stand with you in them.
So what do you think? Is the fiery furnace just kids' stuff? In just a minute, I'm going to dismiss you to a time of communion, and we've got the table set up around the room. It just, it, it's a great place for conf, uh, confession, for, for, for meditation. We'll even have some instructions. Maybe this is, this is a tradition you're not familiar with. We'll, we'll have some instructions. We want you to know what this is about, but it, we just think it's sacred space to, to come before God, to, to maybe commit yourself to him again. Maybe ask yourself, who sits on the throne of your heart? Will you worship God alone, forsaking all others, no matter the price? I mean, uh, it's time for Christians again to have the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want that for you, and I pray for that for you, and I encourage that for you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, for its challenge, for the life that's there. God, I pray that, that your word and your spirit would do its work this morning in each and every one of us. Father God, maybe we have been distracted by things of gold. Father God, maybe there are other things sitting on the throne of our heart and, and maybe we have pushed you to the side. So Father God, we invite you this morning to just come, come back again, come front and center. And for, the, for God, for those who are facing fiery trials this morning, uh, God, help us just to be really aware of your presence. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to be uh, men and women of encouragement. Help us to remember that you will see us through this thing all the way to the end. Father God, this is all because of your son Jesus, for his death is buried on his resurrection. It's the only way this, this thing works. It's the only way this relationship with you is possible. And so, Father God, bless us as we enter into this space to remember him, to dedicate ourselves to Jesus again. We love you, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,